Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardish, ready to talk all things Cincinnati Bengals today. Although I am not in my usual lovely hometown of Cincinnati, actually chilling over Long Beach Island on the East Coast, Beast Coast. I actually don't really like the East Coast, but alongside me, my co-host, Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, my take on beaches is that they're like pizza. Even the bad ones are pretty damn good. Are you, are you in? Yeah, dude. Yes, good take. Me and the family, we love beaches. We do beaches every uh, summer. So yeah, we went to um, Seagrove this year, which is in the, you know, if you just get into Florida, like out of Alabama, it's like 30 minutes past Destin. Like we've always done Destin. So we got my dad to go, got my brother to go. We rented this big house. We had a golf cart that we nearly wrecked. Um, <laughs> you know, we, it's crazy. You know, you go to a town like this and you're just driving a golf cart, like through the town, you know, and they're not just normal golf carts. They're like, <laughs> you know, huge golf carts. Uh, but no, it was awesome, man. Yeah. Getting in the sun, uh, you know, torturing some beers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have paddle boards. Dude, we've been going for so long. We have so much crap. My wife and I were talking about, we're like, we have like three grand worth of crap. We carry with <laughs> us like all this stuff. So yeah, it's uh, we love the beach, man. It's been about a week since we spoke. I, I had to stop myself several times from texting you just our random bullshit about fantasy football life. So I was like, Dwayne, you know, you can one- text me anytime with that. Right? I know, but you're on. We vacation. have the kind of job where we really don't care. Like we, it's like we would talk about it. I was waiting on your on your uh, on your Gronk um, message <laughs> to me, but I never got it. And I was I, actually I was waiting for. So Mike Evans, number one overall. <laughs> <laughs> But got the week away, and now we can go back to talking to each other like five times a week for the next 51 weeks. So great day to be great. As always, it's good to be back with you, my friend. And let's talk all things Cincinnati Bengals. As always, with these team preview editions, going to go through some of the offseason changes from the coaching staff, look through the roster, and then go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, every single fantasy relevant player you could ever want. So with that, let's get going with head coach Zach Taylor, offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, and defensive coordinator Lou Anaramu. Sorry about that pronunciation, Lou. All back for their fourth season in Cincinnati. Gotta love that continuity. And with this offense, should see you know, sticking with our Madden theme, probably more of a pass balance playbook approach. Ideally, after what we've seen from Joe Burrow over the past two seasons, particularly in 2021, we see Taylor fully open up the offense. But overall, 2019, they were number eight in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. 2020, they were tied for number 11. With that said, when Burrow was in before the injury, they were much higher. 2021, they finished 13th. Pace has gone the wrong direction, unfortunately, though. 2019, they had the seventh fastest pace in situation neutral um, occasions, courtesy of the fine folks at Football Outsiders. 16th in 2020, 30th in 2021. So, Dwayne, again, Burrow is on pace for a league-leading 658 pass attempts in 2021, or excuse me, 2020, before getting that injury. We did see the Bengals, you know, start to throw a little bit more in the second half of last year but it ultimately comes down to the question like do we trust Zach Taylor to really open up this offense and play to his strengths I kind of do man yeah I think if you look at the two halves of the year you could also make a case that you know they were letting Joe Burrow just really recover like he was coming back you know from major knee surgery ACL MCL I mean and really quickly you know um 
because his injury was, I think the year before was December, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was late. It might've been November. Um, I have to go back and look for sure. But, you know, Burrow was on an accelerated timetable. And we know that quarterbacks can do that a little bit, you know, with those knee injuries better than like, say, a running back or receiver. You know, they're having to do as much running around. You know, at least Burrow's not, you know, he's more of your typical drop back, you know, in the pocket passer. But if you look at the difference between, you know, the first eight weeks of the season and then really all the way through the playoffs for the Bengals, it really was a tale of, um, you know, it was of two different halves of the season. So if you look at the first half of the season, their pass rate when trailing by four or more points was 60% versus the NFL average of 70%. When you look at their passing um, in, in close games, so within three points, 66% versus 62% for the NFL average. And then if you look at their passing with a lead, it was 46% versus the NFL average of 50%. And so then if you flip it over and you look at what they did after week eight, in through the playoffs, um, they actually were right at average for passing when trailing by four or more points. They were actually 4% above the league average in passing um, in close games, which was the same as what it was before. But the big difference was passing with a lead, 8% over the NFL average over those um, once you got you know through week eight and on. So I think you can look at it and there is, you know, and maybe we're just painting this narrative, but like it, it makes sense, right? That they might not have wanted to have Burrow dropping back to pass quite as much, maybe slow the game down a little bit more while he got fully healed, you know, from the injury. And now we're another year away from that. We know that the Bengals, when we look at their offense and the way they're built, with all of the receivers that they have, you know, um, even got a decent tight end, you know, they've got backs they can use in the passing game. Yes, it would make sense that they really would open it up. And we might see something really more along the lines of what we saw for the second half last, last year. And just from a, from a, just a non overtime, because we can't project that last year over the last eight games of the, sorry, past week eight and on um, they ranked 12th in dropbacks per game, which was 39.5. If you look at them, you know, before that, it was actually, they ranked, oh man, 30th, 32.7. So it was a huge difference between the two. And it was also just a huge difference in plays per game. And those, it, you know, if you look at, at those first seven weeks, you know, it was 31 plays per game. Um, yeah. Sorry. That, no, was that must rank. be hard. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, sorry. <laughs> Their plays per game rank was 31. Sorry. It was 56.4. We're not talking My about bad. the Seahawks here, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah. No, well, it was almost as bad as the Seahawks in the first seven games. They were 56.4 and the Seahawks were 54.4. So the Seahawks ranked 32nd and the Bengals ranked 31st. And that was what that was the part that was so hard. And that's I remember last year on Twitter being like, yeah, here are the two slowest teams in the league or not the two slowest teams, the two teams running for different reasons, the two teams running the least amount of plays. And it was the Bengals and the Seahawks. So it really was a tell, right, of these two different halves of the season. And I think the easiest thing to do, like in the way I've handled the projections is I've at least just put it in the middle. Like I'm I want to be bold and I know there's a range of outcomes where we could see the Bengals throw the ball all the time, but I don't. I also realize there is still this other end, right, where they could just really slow things down because we have seen them do it. I do believe it was because of Joe Burrow's injury, and I would more likely, I'm leaning more towards the middle and leaning a little more, you know, pass aggressive. So, like, yes, I'm with you, pass balanced, but pass heavy could happen. I don't think that we'll see this more run balanced approach, you know, at any point this season, maybe a game or two, right, when they get ahead. And they just really weren't even good running the ball last year. Even we want every offense to throw the ball more than run the ball because it just has been proven to be more efficient. Like just in terms of EPA per play last year, I think there were only four total offenses that were in the positive. We see almost every offense be able to accomplish that in terms of passing the ball. But the Bengals ranked 10th in EPA per pass play, 26th per run. So the offensive line has improved. It's not an indictment on Joe Mixon. He had some fantastic, you know, advanced metrics numbers that kind of show what he was able to do independent of the offensive line stuff. But yeah, come on guys. It's Joe Burrow, T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. Like let's throw the ball, have some shootouts. I think that they figured that out towards the end of the year, hoping they continue to do so. Dwayne, probably the shortest roster turnover section we're going to have to go through for all 32 teams. Only three real significant moves um, in terms of those skill position players uh, turning over throughout the offseason. First off, and this one hurts. I mean, 
you really look at the stats that tell the whole story. And here's one last year when Auden Tate caught a single pass in the game, the Bengals were three and oh, unfortunately they're not going to be able to lean on that strategy this time around contested catch Maestro signed with the Falcons in free agency, former seventh round pick career best marks in 2020. Unfortunately, or excuse me, 2019 was limited by injury in 2020 and 2021. I maintain Auden Tate is a good real life wide receiver. Here's hoping he gets his chance in Atlanta. Also have tight end CJ Uzoma signed a surprisingly steep three year, 20, Four million dollar contract with the New York Jets came back strong from a torn Achilles last year. Still, though, I mean, career high marks and receptions 49 receiving yards, 493 and receiving touchdowns with five. Just one of those things where, like, yeah, Uzoma really did dominate snaps last year, didn't get too much going for it, though. He will be replaced by Hayden Hurst, who signed a one year, three and a half million dollar contract with the Bengals. That does include two million guaranteed. We will talk a little bit later about what exactly to make between him and the Drew Sample competition. Did not draft a single skill position player in the draft. Uh, Bengals are one of just six offenses with fewer than 13% of their 2021 targets available ahead of 2022. So, Dwayne, you know, we talked about in terms of the pass play rate, you know, kind of going in the middle-ish in terms of what we saw in the first half and second half. But at least other than tight end, man, there really is nothing to worry about in terms of personnel here. Yeah, no, I like the con- I like the fact that we get the continuity. I know it's something that you talk about, you know, a lot, and I do think that it matters. Um, you know, I, I think it's not necessarily the easiest thing for us to quantify, but like, you know, we've kind of already hit on it. Like, this is a great core group of players on offense, and to me, if anything, they just really reinforced it. You know, with the offensive line, you know, moves. We didn't see it to your point. You know, at the skill positions, but I think if you had to address, if you said looking at the Bengals' offense, if you could do one thing to it in the off season, what would it be? I think it would be to improve the offensive line. So I think they attacked the area that they needed to. And again, I think we've got Burrow another year off of the injury, um, another year under his belt. You know, we've now got T Higgins going into year three with Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase going into year two, Tyler Boyd going into year three. Yeah, it will be Hayden Hurst's first year, but the backs are all there together. Um, We've got the consistency with the coaching staff. So yeah, I, I, I love the Bengals offense this year. You mentioned the offensive line, PFF's eighth ranked unit now entering 2022. PFF's Mike Renner wrote the article and explained their ranking with the following statement. This is the most improved offensive line in the NFL, at least on paper. Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, and Lyle Collins represent significant upgrades over the Bengals' 2021 starters at those respective positions. Add to the fact that Jonah Williams and Jackson Carmen are both high draft picks on rookie deals who could develop in 2022, and it's easy to see why hopes are high in Cincinnati. Obviously, hopes continue to be high because mostly of one man and one man only, and that is Joe Burrow. Just bonkers efficiency stats last year like you'd be hard-pressed to find any efficiency numbers that paint burrow as anything other than a top five quarterback pff passing grade among 44 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks first qb rating second big time throw rate fifth turnover worthy play rate fifth yards per attempt first adjusted adjusted completion rate third i mean I, i think burrow was just quite simply the most efficient quarterback in the nfl last season and that's why we're so damn high on all these receivers and pass catchers in this offense because if he does get the opportunity to throw the ball at the sort of you know tom brady-esque rate that we've seen this is the offense that we expect to have multiple high-end fantasy assets come out of but Dwayne, it wasn't all roses for burrow during the season from a fantasy perspective he had the back-to-back overall qb1 finishes in week 16 and 17 just absolutely cooking against the ravens and chiefs in those games but between weeks one and 15 he only had one top five finish so looking at it he still had seven top 12 finishes during the first 15 weeks of the year like he wasn't a bad quarterback to have by any stretch of the imagination but not necessarily expecting to get much of a rushing floor maybe it's a little better this next year coming off the knee injury obviously but at the same time not exactly someone we're expecting a bunch of design quarterback runs for we all know how good he is Dwayne but for me it's just hard to get him much higher than eighth in the uh, ratings him versus Tom Brady maybe we could all argue at this point with Gronk not coming back and Godwin's um, recovery looking murkier and murkier uh, in terms of Buccaneers offense because without those two guys I do think it's fair to say the Bengals have a better surrounding cast uh then the buccaneers do at this point but with brady i just think there's a chance we look at the dropbacks by the end of the year and he has over 100 more than burrow despite them playing the same amount of games so where do you fall on burrow and is it qb8 like your boy 
Yeah, I'm a little bit lower than consensus on Burrow, not because I don't like him. I think all the things you said, you know, are true. If you look at the efficiency metrics, like he's doing Tom Brady-esque things, right? Yeah. Time to throw, you know, a 2.63 guy, you know, so I mean, he's getting it out fairly quick. I mean, Brady is like laser fast at this point in his career, 2.34. But typically any of these quarterbacks, right, that you see in that, you know, 2.4 to 2.6 range somewhere in there but still with an eight out of 8.6. So it's not like he's just dinking and dunking. Yeah, he's getting the ball out quickly, but he's hitting the intermediate reads, the deep reads with anticipation. He has the right weapons around him to continue to do this. Um, but, you know, there are a few things, you know, his touchdowns per pass attempt went to six and a half percent last, you know, last season, you know, that's well above the league average that could come down. We don't typically see quarterbacks hang around in that, in that six and a half percent. He certainly has the weapons to do it. You know, Brady was at a 6% last year. So I think touchdowns are the area where you do worry about regression, but it's tough to get overly concerned with Burrow just because the fact that he has all these weapons. I do think the biggest question with him and why I would take Tom Brady over Joe Burrow is because I do feel that I, I can trust the you know Buccaneers to continue to throw, the, even though I think the Bucks might throw, might run the ball a little bit more than what they did last year, especially at the beginning of the year, looking at their weapons and the you know the way their roster is constructed now. Um, I feel more confident with Tom Brady running the offense that it's still going to have a heavy leaning you know to the pass game, whereas I think Burrow is a little bit more. Um, you know, there's a little more risk, right? I think he's still basically going to have to do, you know, what the coaches are asking him to do, whereas we know Brady's ultimately going to be running the Buccaneers offense. So having those two things, yes, I do have Joe Burrow um, sitting right now. Actually, I got to like pre-pull my ranks back up here, Ian. Hadn't, hadn't, <laughs> haven't looked at him. I did go in on my vacation and I adjusted once Gronk, when I heard Gronk was out, I at least got a true, out of, a I, true I, professional. <laughs> I, I pulled those up just real quick. Underdog ADP with the quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyla Murray, Jalen Hurts. That's going to be your consensus top six. I think with, you know, 99% of the rankers, maybe some people trying to get cute, get their extra clicks in there, but that does seem to be the consensus top six after that right now, in terms of ADP, is Joe Burrow. Dwayne, I've had Burrow and Brady in a tier right there, but based on some of the things with uh, that we've seen, you know, again, talking about Brady's personnel changes and all that, guys like Dak, guys like Russ also have an upside. You could argue that that QB7, the kind of QB10, is one, one big tier. Yeah, that's the way I have it. I've got Brady, Burrow, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott all in one tier. And then I've got, you know, a tier to themselves, Trey Lance, and then Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, and Kirk Cousins all in a tier together. And they're very similar, right, to the Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott tier. I mean, you could argue that's all one big tier, period. Um, you know, um, I think we would have them in the right order, though. You know, we have more confidence in the guys that, like Burrow and Russell Wilson and um, Tom Brady that have actually already given us the really huge season. We like Aaron Rodgers, but man, the weapons, oh my God, like it's really bad. Whereas with Carr and Cousins, you know, they've never truly been that elite level quarterback, but I think we both agree that, man, they could climb their way into a Tom Brady, Joe Burrow type season. Their arbitrage plays on Brady and Burrow, and you can get them much later, you know, in draft. So, and if you really, if you look at them across the board, like their, their points per drop back, you know, all these things line up really similar for Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, with Tom Brady and Joe Burrow obviously being slightly above them, but they're all really in the same ballpark. But I do have Brady at seven, and I've got Joe Burrow at eight, Russ Wilson at nine, Dak Prescott at 10. Talk a little running back. Yeah, shocker. Everyone, Dwayne and I are high on Joe Burrow, just like everyone else in the world. The problem is his ADP. Like, he's going, you know, 10 to 15 picks ahead of Tom Brady. So you can get yeah. a full you get a full round discount. That means you get to fire one more round, right? At another positional player like a running back, wide receiver, tight end, and then you can still get basically the same thing, if not better, in Tom Brady over Joe Burrow. Um, could could Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow end up, you know, outscoring Tom Brady this season? Absolutely. But I I just think if we simulated the season, you know, a hundred times, they're going to be pretty close. And I just want to take the player that I think, you know, gives me a little bit more discounted ADP. And I just know that Tom Brady is going to have more control over his offense. Have you been firing at the uh, underdog Superflex puppy? I have not. Actually, this last week, um, I did 25 drafts while I was Ooh. on vacation. Um, I did them all on DraftKings. 
Um, oh. Yeah, just I, I wanted to mix it up and I'm going to come back like over to underdog. But like I want to make sure that we're covering all the different formats for everybody. And I was like, you know, we don't ever really talk about DraftKings. They've got a million dollars to first place right over in a contest as well. And I was like, well, like somebody needs to like do this research. So <laughs> that's that's that was the research I did with a beer in my hand under an umbrella. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do I'm doing three articles this week, drafting from early position, middle position and late position. I did not draft Joe. I've not drafted Joe Burrow. I've drafted Joe Burrow on one team. Tom Brady's on like five or six teams. Um, I have a ton of Russell Wilson and I have a ton of Kyler Murray. So we're on, we're on brand. Kyler Murray by far is my most rostered quarterback. Let me check. All right. Now I am Kyler Murray's second. Carson Wentz is first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Carson Wentz, the thing is like, we're not, I know this is not a Washington podcast, (laughs) but it's so easy. He's one of the guys you can get late and you last round and you last round, but you can get all of his position. It's not, you can get all of his positional players around him, you know? So it's like, you could, you could literally go, uh, Jahan Dotson, like round 14, um, you know, thir- 13, 14, you could come back, grab Wentz in the 15th, and then you can still turn around and get in Curtis Samuel in the 16th or Logan Thomas. Like, so if you wanted to just throw some stacks together with Washington, heck it could be you, if you wanted to go with one of one of the running backs, right. You know, obviously Antonio Gibson would be gone. We got Brian Robinson goes in the later rounds. It's easy to create some of these Washington stacks, not saying that it, it will necessarily work. Like I much prefer like the, the Detroit, you know, stacks. Um, you know, I love those. Uh, but yeah, I think Carson Wentz is my next favorite next to Jared Goff. People have such a hard time and Goff's in that category too. Like, when a quarterback is not a top 15 real life quarterback, but they're probably not worse than like 24th or 25th, they're just written off as they suck, particularly when we've had some of the offseason, you know, slander and news going on with Wentz, with uh, Baker Mayfield, obviously being the other one. I mean, Dwayne, people unironically coming to the table that Jacoby Brissett's an upgrade over Baker Mayfield. I, I don't know how they look themselves in the mirror when they wake up or go to bed. Like, I, I, man, that will not be me. We'll talk about the Browns <laughs> a little more here in a few days, though. All right. I know I, you're just setting that up because the you know the Browns and Washington play each other on the last week of the season. You're oh, building Lord. all of your teams around those stacks. But anyway, we can keep going hard. It's <laughs> exactly what I wanted to bring up, Dwayne. Read my mind. All right. At the running back room, we got Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, and Chris Evans. Again, no real turnover across any of these position groups other than tight end. Mixon, you're reigning overall PPR RB4 last season. More fancy points than everyone other than Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, and Jonathan Taylor. Still only fell to RB6 on a per game basis. Dwayne, we are old enough to remember that you couldn't draft Mixon last year because he was just going to get hurt. Oh shit, he didn't get hurt and these are the types of numbers he put up. I'm so thankful that we did not have to have that storyline again this year. Now we can have the exact same storyline with some other running backs and hopefully profit on that. The quote-unquote problem, Joe Mixon though, is so interesting, really, though, Ian, because like every year there's a new narrative. Remember, yeah. I remember the years where, oh no, he's going to get the passing network. He just is, you know. I was like, like well, every year, <laughs> yeah, we were like, well, maybe. I think that's even still this year. People are holding on to that. Then it was the injuries. Oh, just fade him. Don't worry about him. Like, and now this year, um, I'm kind of like, oh man, like the touchdowns were like so much of it, but it was a good offense. Like, okay, if you're in a good offense, you're going to get to score a lot of touchdowns. Anyway, I know you were taking it somewhere else. So go. Oh, you're good. Speaking of the receptions, that is the only quote-unquote problem with Mixon. He was the actually RB10 alongside DeAndre Swift and expected PPR points per game, which still isn't bad. I mean, only going from RB6 to RB10, we saw far further, you know, fall-offs from guys like Nick Chubb and stuff. But, man, you look at that backfield last year, Joe Mixon had 48 targets, the same exact amount that Samaj Piran and Chris Evans were able to combine for. Obviously, as everyone saw, most important play of the season in the Super Bowl, Samaj Piran, not Joe Mixon, was on the field when you look at their you know behind the scenes rankings advanced analytics if you will Mixon and Piran were both you know PFF pass blocking grade well below 30 Mixon actually spent more total snaps pass blocking than Piran but Dwayne, I forget what a Bengals beat reporter it was like there was a time early in to the first half of last season you constantly brought this up in the utilization report which is just one of the best things anyone out there can read and again you all should be looking to do so with a PFF sub once the season starts but with that they were more willing to keep mixing out there on the field for third downs in obvious pass first situations in the first half of the season. And they pretty much abandoned that in the second half of the year, which was disappointing to see. You look at Chris Evans, some of the hype that he's starting to get, and deservedly so. Some of the you know, some of the snaps he put on film last year lined up as a true receiver, just making plays. And you don't usually see running backs, you know, weighing 210, actually able to split out wide and do those sorts of things. Talking about him getting more reps. Do you think 
for no reason that Mixon's going to get a bigger pass down role. Last year, I was willing to take the leap because of what the Bengals were saying, and more importantly, because Giovanni Bernard was out of the picture. But between Piran and Evans, man, it just seems like they are going to probably do what they did last year again, take about 50% of the backfield target share for themselves. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. The mystifying thing with Joe Mixon is we saw him, you know, really perform well as a receiver. He can do it. Oklahoma. Like, so he can do it. He's another one of these players, you know, that we know can do it. But for whatever reason, like the coaching staff just doesn't want to. Right. That's how they give Joe Mixon a breather. That's how they, you know, limit his touches um, is via, you know, the way they insulate him some from the passing game. Unfortunately, in PPR and half PPR formats. That's a really big deal. But his targets per route run in his first two years, they were they were RB1 level, 20 and 22%. The last three years, 17%, 18%, 16%. And I think a lot of that speaks to just how much the, the Bengals have bolstered up, right, their wide receivers. And we've talked about this before. There's two different types of receiving backs. There are ones like Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, like the true elites, even J.D. McKissick, Naheem Hines. They can do these things where they work downfield. They're constantly incorporated into the team's passing games, no, no matter how good the other receivers and stuff around are around them, because the further you're throwing down the ball, the ball down the field um, and you're getting a mismatch, right? That is a positive, right, for the offense versus there are other backs that they can catch the ball. You can throw them swing passes, but basically once an offense has two or three other really good weapons, those those swing passes go away. And that's really where where Joe Mixon has fallen. Like his ADOT has never been a positive thing, you know, in his career. He's It's always been a negative behind the line of scrimmage. It's not saying he can't occasionally work downfield, but, you know, really, you know, the way his game is profiled so far has been more as that swing pass guy can make the first guy miss, run over the second guy. He can still do things in the receiving game, but just not fully incorporated into what they're wanting to do and really neither are you know the other guys as well but if if there is a, a player on this team in the backfield that could do that it is evans and he's yeah. the one that intrigues me the most you know as far as late in fantasy drafts as far as as far as mixing goes you know you get him at the end of the first round or in the early second round right now like and, and i think the price tag's fair ian but Honestly, I have one Joe Mixon share, I think, yeah. across like 50 drafts so far. So he's definitely not a – so here's the problem. Like Stefan Diggs is sitting there staring me. If you're on DraftKings, it's full point PPR, and I got Stefan Diggs. I could take her. I take Joe Mixon. I'm taking Stefan Diggs, right? Um, if you're getting over on, on in half PPR, you're looking over here on underdog. Same kind of thing. You're facing Stefan Diggs. You're facing C.D. Lamb. You're facing Aaron Jones. Um, there's just a lot of other backs that are right there, a lot of receivers we really love. And then there are other backs that are right there next to him. And it's just kind of, I just have a tough time pulling the trigger on him. It's not that I dislike Joe Mixon. Um, you know, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, the reigning number four overall, 18.1 fantasy points per yeah. game last season, you know, 290 total points. Um, but to me, his profile overall, um, the way I read it is it's an oak, it's an above average NFL running back and a really good offense, but not getting the passing down work is just enough to make me want to lean to some of these other high end profile players that are on really good offenses. I think that was very well put. And that's kind of how I have him ranked RB 11 behind guys like Deandre Swift, Aaron Jones, who, yeah, I think Mixon will probably out touch, but he's not going to get the same sort of fantasy friendly targets as I bring up seemingly every other episode. So apologies for you that have heard it a million times, but once again, one target historically worth about 2.7 carries in terms of expected fantasy points. So just one of those things where guys like Jones, like Swift, even if they are in more of a split backfield than Mixon, I just think they're, you know, overall fantasy friendly usage is superior would also take guys like Leonard Fournette and Saquon Barkley ahead of Mixon because of those sweet sweet targets I do have Mixon ahead of Javante Williams James Conner Cam Akers and Dwayne I do think Mixon is one of these guys we were talking before the show about overall differences and half point standard and uh, full point PPR and how there's not I, I do think going through like full sets of rankings and explanations for them is probably worthwhile, but more than anything, I think it's highlighting the certain types of players that can really be impacted by the scoring and mix in Nick Chubb, these running backs that don't catch a lot of passes. Once we move the standard where we aren't getting that full point per reception, then yes, Mixon is okay to move up into that, you know, RB seven, RB eight overall range. But if we are going to play full PPR, don't hate the player, hate the game, Dwayne. And I think for that reason, it is tough to rank Mixon inside the top 10 running backs, despite, fully well knowing that we're going to get screamed at it by Bengals Twitter every time those rankings go out. Yeah, and look, the argument for Mixon is really his profile is pretty much the same as Jonathan Taylor just from the way he gets used, right? So if we look 
and, and these are all based on games players played at least 10% of the snaps, you know, so I can, I can remove any noise, um, you know, of players that were just hurt early in a game or they missed a game. Right. And so if you look at Jonathan Taylor, he ran, he was in a route on 50% of the team's dropbacks. Joe Mixon was 49%. You know, their target shares, 9% for Jonathan Taylor, 8% for Joe Mixon, both playing really good offenses. The difference is Jonathan Taylor, right. As far as his missed tackles force 20%, well above the league average, Joe Mixon at 14% yards after contact 3.8, which is elite, right? That league average is 2.9 over the last three years. Joe Mixon just above the league average of 3.1 explosive rush attempt rate. So those are carries of 10 plus yards or more 15% for Jonathan Taylor. The league average is is 10 and a half percent. Joe Mixon only 9%. And so those things have been deteriorating for Joe Mixon over the last three years. He's starting to accumulate touches, still going to be young, 26.1 years old. Um, So, I mean, I'm not that worried about like Joe Mixon hitting a cliff, but he's just not as dynamic, right, as Jonathan Taylor. But I think it does highlight the risk of even, and I know we're not trying to jump into the Colts here, but it highlights the risk of a Jonathan Taylor with the number one overall pick. As much as we love JT, it's one of the weaker number one overall picks that I think we've seen, you know, in the last five years of fantasy football, because typically we've just got a stronger full all around profile back like a McCaffrey. Yes, we know folks, he can, he could get hurt. We know, we know like go ahead and hit us in the DMS or (laughs) in the live Twitter's, Twitter streets, wherever you want. Um, the CMC's a bum. You know, you can just like use, you know, Polly from Rocky, you know, the uncle from Rocky, the drunk uncle. You know, he's a bum. So anyway, uh, well, that's like the new thing, the Polly Award, the complete <laughs> bum. But Joe Mixon, man, you could make an argument. Like he's a very similar profile, you know, to Jonathan Taylor. And an offense is probably going to score more touchdowns than the Colts. To, so, to your point, though, I think that's more of a indictment on Taylor versus a reason to really move Mixon up, though. No, no, no. I agree. And yeah. I, yeah, no, it, it, and that's why I framed it that way. It is more of an indictment on Taylor. I think Joe Mixon's price tag is a lot more fair. I think Joe, I don't have Joe Mixon really below or above consensus. I have him right at it. You know, I've got him ranked eight. Okay. Um, FFPC, thanks to Fantasy Mojo, is at seven. Underdog is sitting at seven right now. Um, you know, uh, that's the position rank for Mixon. So, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly, you know, behind, you know, where the, where the market has him, but what's interesting, um, and this is why I do this, you know, you just start testing your convictions. Like every time I have a chance to click on Joe Mixon's name, I don't. And here's why I don't think Joe Mixon can give me an absolute obliterate your fantasy league season. I, I feel like there are other guys that go in that range that really could, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. Standard formats, I think you're more okay, you know, with Joe Mixon. It's just kind of how, and I see why you have him ranked higher versus when we're considering ADP and stuff. It's not a bad idea, but why take Mixon at pick 13 when he can get Leonard Fournette at pick 23, man? Again, I have Fournette straight up ranked higher than Mixon because he's going to have all the targets that we can only hope that Mixon had, and they're both in great offenses. All those things we talked about with Burrow versus Brady. I mean, we they're two great offenses, and one of them has a completely featured three down back, and the other one is Joe Mixon, who's pretty close. So right around there, borderline RB1. Well, yeah, I think that's the interesting question, right? You know, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, we can get Fournette at 23, but if 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 you are a listener that you're only going to do one draft, right? And you're sitting there, like, would you just rather have Fournette overall over Joe Mixon? Is like, I think the real question, and I think there could be an argument made for it. They're really similar, but we've at least seen Fournette take over, you know, the passing down work, you know, on his team, where we I mean, just haven't seen that before, you know, really for Joe Mixon. Yeah, and I think some people might be balking at it. I mean, Fournette literally averaged more points per game last year yep. than Mixon. Like, yep. what? That was a large sample size. What more do we need to kind of uh, see there? So, I would also say a lot of these wide receivers. I mean, you mentioned Diggs, CD. I'd even throw Devontae Adams there. And hey, our guy Mike Evans potentially ahead of someone like Joe Mixon. So, I just don't think. For me, I draw the line at the running backs tier, kind of that I'm super willing to take in the first round after Dalvin Cook at the RB6 spot. So I just think, you know, after that, looking more so at those wide receivers and particularly, again, just having guys like Fournette and even some folks like James Conner and Cam Akers who have better theoretical roles than Joe Mixon. Like the targets aren't coming. I wish they would, but like we're not doing Antonio Gibson in 2021 all over again. Just because the guy can catch passes does not mean he will. Joe Mixon is another great example of that. But yeah, I have I have I have Barkley ahead of Mixon. I would rather draft Saquon Barkley than yep. than Joe Mixon because he gives you there's a chance, right, for Barkley that complete profile, true every down back, 25-year-old guy, you know, uh, it's just 
and we know he can be hyper explosive. Like, so I just feel that Saquon gives you a range of outcomes that you can't get with Mixon as a, as a true every down option. I think I would take Mixon over in the year 2022. I take Mixon over all these guys. If we were starting a real life team, but we're not, we're playing fantasy football. Yes. I also have Saquon ahead of Joe Mixon straight up. And particularly for those that are just going to be doing one league. Let's talk about the backups though, because as we see, Running backs do get hurt sometimes. Not that Joe Mixon is any more injury prone than these other guys, but if he does go down, we're going to have an open RB spot in one of the league's highest scoring offenses. Samaje Piran versus Chris Evans, the talk of the summer. Not really, but God forbid. Dwayne, trying to do Twitter research on Chris Evans is a nightmare, man. This freaking Superman actor, whatever the hell that guy played, it's just, he's always in the news. It's always something. I just want to know a little bit about this rising second year talent from the Bengals. I can never find anything about what's going on at training camp. So shout out to the athletic, at least uh, for continuing to provide some good notes out of OTAs. But before we get to that, Looking at what happened last year in the two games that Mixon was not actually at 100%. He had COVID for their meaningless Week 18 matchup, and he only played 28% of the offensive snaps in Week 5, one of those games where they only they made him active, gave him a handful of carries, and that was it. No idea why teams do that, but hey, they did it. So in those games, Pirine worked well ahead of Evans in terms of snaps, 61% versus just 10%. Excuse me, that was for week five. Pirine worked well ahead of Evans in terms of snaps, 61% versus 10%, 11 versus zero in carries. Targets were five versus two, but that was week five. Going into week 18, though, Dwayne, Pirine got starters treatment. He was basically, I think he was active, maybe for emergency only, but he did not even play a snap. It was actually Chris Evans versus Travion Williams. And even that man was 56% versus 44%. Like Travion Williams had more carries than Chris Evans in week 18. That's a problem. Now, it's easy. I posted a video of Chris Evans receiving highlights last week. Bengals Nation ate it up, as everyone should eat it up. The guy is talented, and I'm not against betting on talented players to win out. We did get a little bit of news out of Bengals uh, camp, courtesy of the athletics, Paul uh, Denher, who actually had that note earlier about uh, Mixon's kind of third down snaps decreasing in the second half of the year. A little bit of a misleading, uh, I think, headline, though, from our boys over at NBC Sports Edge, because Denher's actual quote was that if Evans can continue to grow as a pass protector, that's one, build trust in the coaching staff, that's two, and do the right things, that's three, then you can make an argument that he could supplant P. Ryan as a third down back. Dwayne, that sounds like June conjecture and a guy talking about a good third string back. But my God, what more do we need to see from this Bengals coaching staff that they love Piran more than they love Chris Evans? I think what we need to see is legitimate preseason usage over it. I guess I'm okay at the end of a draft taking the higher upside pick, but I really think that the idea that Evans is just going to fully supplant Samaje Piran, probably wishful thinking. If Mixon did go down, I think this is one of those backfields where we figure out who the lead back is. There's a good chance they might not be in the top 20, though, because I don't think either of these guys actually gets Mixon roll. I see it being far more of an evenly split two-back committee. And if anything, Piran, I think, would need to be the projected touch leader if we don't find out anything new before it happens. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I'm not drafting Samaje P. Ryan. No. <laughs> you know, so in the last in the last round of drafts, like, you know, I'm I've taken Chris Evans quite often. Like I've taken him a lot. Um, and I think everything you just said is true, but when you're really looking at that last pick, um, you know, I'm I'm going for what I think is more upside. And and Evans, you know, it was a very small sample last year, but he showed some nice things when he was on the field. But to your point, like he was never really able um, to, to overcome, right. The rest of the backfield and truly take over, you know, in any sort of true role. So I think it's all still up for grabs. I think the positive is, is that, you know, we know he's got a little bit of draft capital in him, you know, it's going to be his year two. So I think there's a natural progression. Quite often we see rookies not able to come in and take over passing down work. Um, P Ryan really just is a guy. He's just a guy. And so I don't think the bar is that high for, Evans to be able to take over for, you know, P Ryan. So if I'm, if I'm drafting today and let's say I'm trying to take my sixth or seventh running back in a 20 and a 20 round draft, you know, I'm in that last round. Um, Girl Scout is sauntering up to the door. <laughs> you know, Ian is definitely always Chris Evans. I never take Samaji P Ryan, but I, I, to your point, it's definitely one, you know, like, right. I'm, I'm kind of getting my thoughts together around one thing we need to be paying attention to, right, for every training camp on the offensive side of the ball that has you know, true it. fantasy relevance for the Bengals, this is it. Like, like who really is, if there is one, like who do we think, you know, is going to be the true handcuff um, for Joe Mixon? I have 
I've fiddled around with it. Right now, I have Evans RB60, Piran 61. So they really are, I think, right next to each other. But to your point, I do think the upside for Evans is probably worth chasing just a bit. Want to note before we get into wide receivers that gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big, hairless, winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right. Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best and biggest ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. And it's time you enjoy the finer things in life and get yourself a Platinum Package for your Platinum Package underdog fantasy the best place to play fantasy football this summer is over at underdog fantasy champion of best ball mania last year drafted in june no time to draft like the present go ahead and join underdog and take your shot at that million dollar draft plus underdog is going to double your first deposit up to 100 dollars when you sign up with the promo code pff also if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code pff you get a free pff subscription so what are you waiting for head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play 10 dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today Always a scary moment when you haven't read the uh, Manscape ad before you go live on the podcast. Just absolutely terrified about what's going to be there in the next sentence. But appreciate the guys at Manscape. I'm wearing the boxers they sent me for free right now. The tools are fantastic, and I can't think of anyone. I mean, credit to Manscape, Dwayne. Like, are their ads a little bit absurd sometimes? Yes, but man, in what five, six years, like. Could anyone name any other product like for shaving your balls? I don't think so. So, you know, it's a market. It's out there. There's a bunch of men in the world and Manscaped has uh, cornered it. So shout out to them. And again, code PFF for 20% off any of the Manscaped goodness. The main event, wide receivers. We got ballers all over, over the place. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, backup Stanley Morgan, Mike Thomas, and Trent Taylor. Looking at Jamar Chase right now, my wide receiver three, seemingly in everyone's top three. Fresh off arguably the best rookie season from a wide receiver in NFL history. 1,455 yards, 13 touchdowns in the regular season. Really didn't miss much in the playoffs as well. 100 yards in the first two games. Touchdown the AFC Championship. 589-0 for Jalen Ramsey and company in the Super Bowl. So really, man, already at the top of the game. I mean, this dude, going back to college, 34 touchdowns in his last 35 professional games like and, and, and collegiate games. So it's just crazy how this guy like seemingly doesn't miss. A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson are the only rookie wide receivers to average more yards per out run than Chase over the last five years. With that said... This is an offense that you look at the distribution and it's not really as wide as you might expect. Looking at the 18 games, including the playoffs that each of Chase Higgins and Boyd were healthy and active. Chase had 140 targets. T Higgins had 136. Boyd was down there with 89 air yards. Were in Chase's favor at 1,812. T Higgins was at 1,665. Boyd all the way down at 698. But Dwayne, the interesting thing to me was the routes were actually very similar. Jamar Chase is at 691, Higgins 643, and Boyd down there at just 631. So last year, we did see Chase as the 1A, Higgins as the 1B, but that disparity got blown up a little bit in terms of production because of just Chase being a freaking monster. But I think when people start to look at these you know, underlying metrics about Higgins really having every bit as much opportunity as Chase, I mean, not putting into account kind of the differences in games like Higgins straight up averaged more expected fantasy points per game during the regular season than Chase last season. So there really is a scenario where Higgins can go out there and outproduce Chase. I don't think it'll happen because Chase is the better player and they're getting at least even if not more uh, volume for Chase. But my big takeaway from this, Dwayne, hearing Joe Burrow talk about the potential for his offense to have to change to see more too high looks. Same thing that Patrick Mahomes and these guys went uh, against last year. Like Burrow himself said that they might not be able to live as much on the explosive plays. Usually the problem for the slot receivers is that they're not on the field enough to take advantage of this. Again, my big takeaway from seeing this, we already knew Chase was a baller. We already know Higgins is a baller. These guys each have top 10 ADP, no questions asked, but Tyler Boyd is already out there enough. Could you see his targets actually taking a nice boom and maybe this becoming more of a 1A, 1B, 1C situation? I don't think so because I just think the other two guys are too good. <laughs> you know, Fair. I mean, <clears throat> I, I do like Tyler Boyd. Um, I think, you know, Tyler Boyd is a guy that you can draft as, you know, uh, a wide receiver 
a low end wide receiver three, wide receiver four, um, especially in PPR formats. You know, I don't know about the touchdowns, how many of those, you know, but, but you know, he could get lucky. Like if, if Boyd all of a sudden scores eight touchdowns, which is possible, right? That's going to be huge for where he finishes as far as being a fantasy player. But what I like about Boyd, even though he's not like this player that, you know, profiles near as well as Higgins or Chase, look, he is a proven commodity. And if Jamar Chase or T Higgins goes down, oh, like baby. he also has that contingency value, right? Where he could, he's, if, if either one of those players go down for any period of time, like Tyler Boyd, you know, is going to be a wide receiver too, assuming that the, that the Bengals don't just change their offense, right. And just really, you know, go into a shell, which I still don't think they would, right. That's the beauty of having three really good wide receivers. You know, if one of them goes down for any stretch, right. You can still perform, you know, um, as an, as an NFL offense in that scenario, you can sprinkle some of the other targets of some of the other guys, but I think he carries that contingency value. Um, and he also gets to play in a lot of really good matchups. You know, the Bengals, you know, they've got quite a few on their schedule. Um, not as much as like some of the AFC West and NFC West teams, but there's still quite a few good matchups. And we know that the Bengals showed that ability to push the pace a little bit more and they're going to play against some other teams. They're going to force them to do so. So yeah, I like Tyler Boyd um, at his current ADP, you know, man. And sometimes he really slides, <laughs> you know, I've noticed that in these drafts, um, you know, you can get him in the 11th round, sometimes the 12th round. Um, I haven't drafted on underdog in a week, but last week of drafting on uh, DraftKings, not a guy like that. I'm just actively trying to be, you know, overweight on you know versus like where the market's going to be on tyler boyd um but depending on what my roster looks looks like i'm i'm happy to take him i'm same as you as far as mark chase i've i've got him you know inside of my um top four as well right now i mean you named all the reasons why i don't need to rehash (laughs) any of the things but here's what i'll say you know uh and i wrote this up in my tier article um he's really a unique player um and in fact like if you compare him to every single other player um, you know, in the pool, all these other receivers, as, as great as they all might be, no one gives you the same combination of being able to attack deep down the field. 28% you know, of his targets came on throws of 20 yards or more, yet he was an 8.1 yards after the catch player. Typically, players that get the ball more down the field, you see their yak go down and vice versa. Guys that get the ball 5, 10 yards downfield, schemed up, Debo Samuel, a lot of, you know, and not to say, Debo's a freak too, 10.2 for Debo, but those are freak numbers. Um, you know, but if we've even seen with AJ Brown, right, in the past, and that short and intermediate game, you know, he gets a lot of rack of uh, yards after the catch. Would Jamar Chase, like, he does both. Um, and so his explosive play rate, uh, explosive target rate, those are targets that turn into, uh, you know, receptions of 15 plus yards or more, 30%, which is way, 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 you know, above what we see for the league average. So the number one player in the league last year with Debo Samuel at 32%. And then you had Jamar Chase right behind him at 30%. But I mean, he can do things that Debo can't do. You know, he gets to attack downfield. So he he's really a unicorn in that way that he can score touchdowns from literally anywhere on the field. You could throw him a screen pass. You could throw him a five-yard slant. Like what we saw, you can see the little play, you know, that we saw against Kansas City last year where he caught, you know, a slant for the first down, makes the first guy miss, and then just takes an angle where nobody else can catch him on the field. Like Jamar Chase has that in his bag of tricks, yet he can also just moss you like at any moment. So it's pretty rare, honestly, to see a profile like him where he can win, you know, vertically down the field, he can win underneath, you know, Justin Jefferson and he are like the two best, in my opinion, the the guys that can attack every single area um, and can score from anywhere. The yards after the catch, uh, to your point, was the most surprising part for me. I mean, look, you can watch the LSU film, Cincy film, you see the guy beat any cornerback. Usually it seems like just that deep ball when he's lined up as a right wide receiver is just particularly deadly. I know he can do it from the left side of the field too, but that cheese play, the Ravens play where he just spins off a guy and takes the 80 yards to the house. It's like, oh shit, he's also just one of the best players in the league with the ball in his hands. I mean, when you look at the top six wide receivers, Cup, Jefferson, Chase, Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, I have a Devontae Adams there right there as well. Like, I think Chase could reasonably finish with like 20 or 30 fewer targets than all those guys. He's almost like the wide receiver Jonathan Taylor in terms of like maybe his projected workload isn't quite as big as these other guys. But damn it, Dwayne, if we're going to take a bet, take a flyer on any of these guys with talent winning out, it's going to be guys like Jamar Chase and Jonathan Taylor. My wide receiver three, you right there with me. 
You're muted, Dwayne, but I'm guessing you are. Why wouldn't you be? Oh, my bad. Yeah, three. <laughs> Jamar, I was taking a drink. I didn't want everybody to just hear me like swallowing something. <laughs> Jamar Chase, uh, I have three. I've got Justin Jefferson, one, Cooper Cup, two, Jamar Chase, three, Stefan Diggs, and C.D. Lamb and Devontae Adams and the tier right behind those guys. Great day to be great. T. Higgins, someone that I have wide receiver nine. I've kind of moved him around uh, versus him versus Tyreek Hill. Where do you land on him, uh, Dwayne? Because he is going ADP wide receiver 10 right now. In regards to his labrum, had a great podcast with uh, Edwin Porras. It's up on the pod on Monday. So I invite you guys to check that out. We went through every single injury-relevant player kept the poor guy for like 75 minutes. He was exhausted from like a hard day at work. And I said, I don't care, man. I want to hear about fantasy football. Uh, who cares about the real humans you are actually <laughs> helping out. Uh, but with T Higgins, you know, similar thing with Baker Mayfield in terms of the labrum tear they suffered where Edwin's major point was, this is not an injury that should follow them around in the future. And he should not be viewed as any more injury prone than someone else. So we'll reportedly be ready well before training camp, not expecting that, that again, bump shoulder to hinder him, but Hey, he played with that from week two on last season and still managed to put up 1,400 freaking yards, including the playoffs. So just a really great season from Higgins that went under the radar because of how damn good Chase was. If you look at the comp groups over time, Dwayne, some fun that fun numbers that we found throughout this offseason is just looking at young players with PFF receiving grades hitting a certain criteria, and you can get nice buckets of groups where you can just see that there's not many misses here. So Here's mine. Wide receivers with a PFF receiving grade of at least 80 during their first two seasons over the past 10 years with at least 100 targets. OBJ, Michael Thomas, AJ Brown, Mike Evans, AJ Green, Tyree Kill, Jarvis Landry, Terry McLaurin, Chris Goblin, Juju, Keenan Allen, Julio, Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup, Randall Cobb, Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, Alshon Jeffrey, DJ Moore, the four guys that qualified going into next year, Justin Jefferson, T Higgins, CD Lamb, and Brandon Ayuk. So, Watkins really the only kind of sort of miss on that entire list like we all know Higgins is great but how high is too high for him looking at quarterbacks that have been able to enable multiple top 12 PPR wide receivers in the same season over the past 10 years we have seen an average of 1.3 instances per year so Peyton Manning pulled this off three times Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins both did it twice the other quarterbacks Jay Cutler Drew Brees Ben Rossberger Matt Ryan Russell Wilson Matthew Stafford and Justin Herbert so Dwayne Burrow to me fits like a glove into that group in terms of being a great quarterback and also being a quarterback that's going to win from the pocket and not necessarily be running around all that much so Higgins, Chase, both top 12. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I've been there on Higgins. Like I've had him at nine, I think since March, you know, or April, somewhere in there. Like I love him. <clears throat> like he checks every box you want, you know, yeah. for, um, you know, a player that he's already had a wide receiver three and a wide receiver two finish in his first two seasons. All the underlying data aligns for him. Honestly, he's really close to CD lamb in the way that the two players line up, you know, lamb, you know, is a guy that, you know, we've, talked up a lot you know on this show we both have him inside our top five receivers on the year which i think is you know above market consensus the market is starting to catch up now i want to say underdog has him maybe six or seven i've noted land was sliding in a few draft i don't know if that's a, a true macro trend but i think he and mike evans are probably about to switch spots with the gronk stuff i think mike evans is creep creeping up you know where he's just climbing up draft boards at this point where he's going to be an early second round pick by the time that folks are drafting in august and so that's going to bump lamb down a little bit you know, in ADP, but, um, yeah, I, when I look at Higgins and I look at lamb lamb gets him a little bit, you know, from the deep target perspective, but Higgins is a guy that we know can work downfield as well. Really though, in this Bengals offense, he's working more of the intermediate stuff. He's almost working more like a possession receiver, but he can still be explosive, not as good in yards after the catch as CD lamb, who was a 5.5 and T Higgins was a 3.9, but that didn't slow down his ability to, uh, create plays of 15 plus of, or create targets of 15 plus yards or more, um, or that he was able to turn into receptions, um, 27% explosive target rate, you know, for T Higgins, which is above CD lamb at 25%. So like you could make an argument that, well, if you've got CD lamb at five, like T Higgins should be right there with him just on a talent profile. The one thing that lamb gets right is now he's got a little bit more of a wide open depth chart whereas we know t higgins no matter what unless there's an injury is really going to have to still be dealing with jamar chase so i think there's this opportunity for lamb where we could see this ceiling of like dude he could have a 30 percent target share right that could happen we know that can't happen for t higgins like it, yeah. it's just it's it's landlocked because of dealing with jamar chase but that doesn't if there is an offense to your point that can support two of these like i think the Bengals are definitely on the list 
looking at Tyler Boyd just continues to smash ADP. I mean, he's kind of turning into, I know him and Jarvis Landry have both been in the league for a bit, but both of them just remind me as he's wide, maybe not so much for Landry anymore, but every single year they're, you know, going in that wide receiver three-ish range. People expect them to fall off and they continue to smash expectations specifically for Boyd. I mean, 2018 didn't even have an ADP finishes wide receiver 19 and PPR points per game wide receiver 26 in 2019 wide receiver 36 in 2020 wide receiver 36 again in 2021, despite having a wide receiver 40 ADP wide receiver 52 ADP on underdog right now. Dwayne, he's going to beat that. If even if Chase and Higgins plays 17 games this year, I'm very confident in that. Will he beat it by a lot? Probably not. But the upside here, if either Chase or Higgins go down, maybe that's the part that's not exactly being considered. If you look at it, he actually has 10 games over the past two seasons or 12 games, excuse me. 10 in 2020 before Jamar Chase got there with Joe Burrow under center, two in 2021 with Higgins sideline. During those 12 games, weekly finishes as the PPR wide receiver five, nine, nine, 10, 15, 17, 20, 28, 31, 36, two duds at 51 and 63. You extrapolate those 12 games into a 17 game pace. 117 receptions for 1,224 yards, six touchdowns on 147 targets. We might not ever get those, you know, touchdowns up there, but Dwayne, the way things are going with Boyd sliding this far, he's basically like Russell Gage without like already having the injury that's out there. But again, like the one of the reasons we like Gage going as high as he is is because even once Goblin comes back, we're expecting him to be able to put up numbers around that range. Like this just seems wild to me. I have Boyd as my wide receiver at 44. Not going crazy like I did last year. I fully understand that Chase and Higgins are atop this depth chart. But man, guy doesn't turn 28 until November. I just think that we're looking at someone that's once again the definition of a player being priced closer to their floor than their ceiling. Yeah, I think that's the best way to summarize it. <laughs> You're getting Tyler Boyd at his floor. There's also an upside that I think a lot of people are not baking in. Now, look, we know Tyler Boyd is not he's not one of these guys like he he doesn't profile the same right from a talent perspective as what we see with Higgins or as we see you know with Jamar Chase but look there's just not many people that do uh, there's just not very many receivers that do so even if he gets more work like is he can he really just destroy um you know the league probably not but he can definitely destroy ADP like he can destroy <laughs> the fact that you know he's being going off the board as you know after pick 50 um you know or after a uh, position you know yeah wide receiver 51 like that's know, crazy on, on ffpc yeah it's crazy um and i get it but and the reason why is because a lot of these younger profiles with more unknowns that could hit you know could go off like are going ahead of him and, and but here's the thing like you don't even necessarily have to just force yourself to choose between all of that you could you could back-to-back rounds if you like hey i want to go talent first and take Kadarius tony and then turn around and take tyler boyd a little less talent but in a great situation you can have both yeah. Like you can have both of the players. So I'm definitely mixing in Tyler Boyd. I think everything that, like you said, was just, it's, it's right on the mark. Um, it's a solid receiver and a really good offense. And he has contingency upside. Looking ahead to tight end Hayden Hurst and Drew Sample. Nice note again from the Athletics, Paul Denher talking about Hurst in a co- nice column that the Athletic did. Basically, one fantasy question for every NFL team. He chose to highlight Hayden Hurst, noting his signing flew under the radar of the offensive line improvements, but the Bengals think it could end up being one of the most impactful moves of the offseason. I'm fairly confident that Hurst can beat out Sample as the lead receiving tight end. The question, Dwayne, is what exactly that's worth. Because over the last two years, Zach Taylor's offense is 27th and 30th in total targets to tight ends. They did finish fourth in 2019. But man, like that was just when we had Eifert there. And Tyler Boyd was pretty much the only proven wide receiver on that roster with A.J. Green not exactly having his best days at that point. I mean, last year, C.J. Uzoma was a tight end 27 in expected PPR points for game with the role that we're hoping that Hayden Hurst can get. So I think Hurst is good, probably even better than CJ Uzoma. The one season we saw him as the Falcons featured tight end before they drafted Pitts, he did put up better numbers than we've ever seen Uzoma have. I'm okay with him. I think he's going like tight end 24 right now. And at that point, what like what really is a hole you can pick uh, with the guy? I still think guys like Gerald Everett, Irv Smith, Tyler Higby, better candidates to be this year's version of 2022 Dawson Knox. But I do think in this offense, like, we know it's 
fully possible for Joe Burrow to have one of these MVPs seasons where he's breezing past the 40 passing touchdown mark. Hayden Hurst might not need more than 60 or 70 targets to somehow find the end zone eight plus times. Not someone you want to reach on, but Dwayne, as we go through a lot of these best ball drafts and you need a third, maybe even a fourth tight end sometimes, I think Hurst is one of the last ones you can get that you can actually talk yourselves into a nice upside uh, possibility. Yeah, look, it's a best ball play. You don't really want, you're, you're not looking, you know, to to draft Hayden Hurst onto your redraft team. You're never going to know when to start him. Yeah. But last year, you saw C.J. Ozoma drop a 26.5, uh, you know, PPR points in week four. You had T. Higgins out. He was the number one tight end in fantasy football that week. He did it again in week seven, 24.1 with everyone healthy. That was the tight end number one. I believe a lot of that came on one really long play that he broke loose. Um, so, and then you saw even in the playoffs, uh, last year, he put up an 18.4 and a 14.1, um, you know, in two of those games. So, and then he got hurt and we didn't get to see Uzoma anymore. Um, so from that standpoint, like, yeah, I'm good with Hayden Hurst, um, in best ball formats. Like he's my, if I don't start off with a strong tight end, like if I don't get, say one of the top five or six guys, um, a lot of times I'm drafting three, especially if I'm over on DraftKings where I get 20 rounds. Um, uh, maybe not as much over on um, Underdog where it's 18 rounds, but still quite often I'll, I'll use three tight end builds if, it, I, if I don't have one of the top five, six guys. Um, and I'm going to have to do it even more because now Gronk's out of the pool, basically. You know, now Gronk could end up playing later in the season. But for me, that's where Hayden Hurst is a perfect fit. He plays in a good offense that's going to get into a lot of shootouts. You know you're going to get some spike weeks. So in best ball, that gives him value. He can help kind of, you know, give you you're playing a numbers game a lot of times at tight end you know because we've talked about this every week like it's so funny the range of low end tight end tight end one to you know ups you know tight you know high end tight end two or mid-range tight end two like they are all so bunched together and what does it come down to touchdowns and so that's why i, I kind of like the idea of rostering three of them you know in best ball if you don't get one of the top five you're just trying to say look i just need one of you dudes to score a touchdown this week <laughs> can you do that for me now you won't always be lucky they're going to all score it on the same week and then next week all three <laughs> give you a donut but you know we can't predict when those things are going to happen so for me hayden hurst not something i'm really trying to you know gravitate towards in any sort of redraft format but definitely in best ball as like the third tight end and he, he typically is kind of that last one that goes off the board and then you're like eh i don't want to take another tight end like there's no other tight end to really take um once uzoma goes hayden I'm sorry sorry once hayden hurst goes you're good hayden hurst versus cameron Brait. who you got uh, i'm so i'm gonna lean to Brait, but i think people are overreacting on the Brait stuff like we've seen plenty of cameron Brait without rob gronkowski you know he, he he's he's not the same profile as some of these other guys but i would still lean to Brait. i just i'd be really surprised again for yeah I'm taking the L on Gronk coming back. I don't think there were many people that were me too, man. Yeah. Look, I, you know, sh show me the person that was just like, he's for sure gone throughout the entire off season and I will show you a liar, but looking at like, I think the Buccaneers are somewhat surprised as well. Like we heard this from their beat reporters and stuff. Like, I don't think the Bengals are going to make another addition to their tight end room. I think the Buccaneers, I'd almost Good. be surprised if they don't. God, why couldn't they just still have OJ Howard? I want to, I want OJ Howard. I guess OJ Howard's in another good spot. You know, like, like it could still happen for him in Buffalo, but I'm like, man, you finally leave. And now Gronk decides he's not. But like, OJ okay, Howard, man, come on. If we do see a Jimmy Graham S guy added to the Buccaneers, like, wouldn't we then put Bray behind Hearst? Like, let's just be ahead on this. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. But right now, there's also, you know, the chance that there's not. So, I mean, yeah. look, I, they're really close. I think to your point, um, Brait should be getting graded more closely to Hayden Hurst than probably where you know people are putting him, you know, in their ranks. Yeah. Probably an issue that I'm not gonna have to worry about because Brait's gonna be off the board well before Hurst. He so. does, he, yeah. People right now, like, and again, play the news cycles. Right now is <laughs> not the time to draft Cameron Brait. Like, the news just happened with Gronk, and I mean, there's there's people taking him. Like, I've I've seen him going over Irv Smith, over Alberto. I've I've seen him go over Dawson Knox in a draft. Now, a lot of these people are trying to finish their stacks, right? They grab yeah. Brady, and so that that happens a lot with best ball. Um, but, yeah, I think the the Brait love is a little bit too much um, for me. I've got him right in that same range as, like, with the Higbees and the, um, you know, the Gerald Everett's, like, slightly below those guys and right in range with, like, the Hayden Hurst. I got to go back and see, like, where – uh, I have to look back over on the site because I didn't update my sheet while I was gone. But anyway, it, it's it's right around what you're talking about. But I think right now the market's just too high on break. 
Let's summarize real quick. Joe Burrow, Dwayne and I both have him. QB8 right behind Tom Brady. Basically, the number two ranked quarterback that is not going to be someone to give us any sort of rushing upside. At running back, Joe Mixon, someone that we are not against. With that said, we can't just expect guys to get targets when every single thing we've seen and heard, lesser extent heard, but definitely seen from the Bengals indicates that P. Ryan Evans are going to be more or less splitting the total pass down share with Joe Mixon. So he's just going to once again have to live on a bunch of touchdowns. But hey, inside this offense, certainly a possibility. At wide receiver, both Chase and Higgins top 10 players. Chase is just so damn good that we are happy to put him inside that top three alongside Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. But yes, this does look like an offense that actually can be one of the squads to actually produce top multiple top 12 wide receivers in the same season. Don't sleep on Tyler Boyd once again being priced far closer to his floor than his ceiling outside the top 50 wide receivers. Come on, people. What are we doing? And at tight end Hayden Hurst, some might say the ideal tight end three in best ball, someone that we're not going to need to worry about other than, you know, once the waiver wire is popping off during bye week stuff for typical redraft leagues. Sound about right, Mr. McFarland. No, I think it's perfect. Um, I will say the Bengals are one of the teams that I've struggled the most to just create the stacks because <clears throat> it's really hard to get both. You know, it's not hard, but I mean, it's a lot of investment, right? To go grab Jamar Chase in the first round. Now, Jamar Chase, what I will say, he is one of the players that I will see, uh, you know, people will take Austin Eckler over him. People will take Derrick Henry over him. Um, you know, you'll see Jamar Chase sometimes, you know, slide to like pick eight. Like he is, he is the receiver of the top group we talk about. Where for whatever reason, sometimes drafters are off on him, probably because they think ah, too much target competition. Yeah. But what's interesting is Higgins is the one that I see people reach for more often. Like I'll see somebody just take him at the end of the second round, right, to make sure they get him. So it's kind of hard, you know, to consistently try to get Chase and you know come back with Higgins and then get Burrow because all of them basically were taking them. I don't want to say we're taking them all at their ceilings. I think the one that has the most room to not be at their ceiling is probably Higgins, to be honest, like of the three that we're taking. Um, but it's really tough to create those stacks. It's not, it's not too crazy to create, you know, um, you know, a stack with one of those two plus Burrow and then come back, you know, and grab a Hayden Hurst or something like that, or a Chris Evans in the last round, you can do that. But just one interesting note I thought I would throw out there one, because I was just trying to, figure out like these different stacks, you know, over on DraftKings and which ones were the easiest to build and still really come out with a good roster overall, right? Without having to reach on all these guys. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Dwayne, we have made it through 25 team previews, seven more to go, finishing off the AFC North, NFC North next week. After that, really getting more into, you know, just the specific strategy elements that are going to help all of you, hopefully, when all sorts of fantasy football championships come September. With that said, Dwayne, you have gone out on your own. You have three spectacular strategy articles coming up on PFF.com this week. Let the people know what you have in store. Yeah, so just based on, you know, a lot of the drafts I did, Last week, you know, I had 25 that I put together and so have some from early position run, some from middle and then some from late and just basically, you know, kind of recapping all of that and putting it into a format and using ADP, obviously, um, from over on DraftKings and just talking about, you know, here are the different ways that you can attack these different draft positions based on, you know, what's available. It's kind of starting with being able to build backwards, but then also bringing in, you know, the different kind of stacks that if that's something that you're really interested in interested in like i tried a lot of different things you know i kind of came up with my strategies um before i started the vacation and i kind of had them all jotted down like hey here are like eight or nine things i would like to try i'm ultimately still going to let the draft like dictate like if value comes and i need to take the value i will but if i could like do all of these things like i would like to try all of them and i ultimately was able to check all of them off my list without forcing it so yeah i'll have an article up about each one of those positions and some of the different strategies that you can think about um that you can deploy for those drafts at Dwayne McFarlane, always on Twitter. I got a bunch of team previews coming out that I wrote last week because I'm going to spend most of this week either talking to Dwayne or getting drunk on the beach. And yeah, life is pretty good there. We need to do do an episode where you do both of those at the same time. At the same time. (laughs) I'll try to set my mic and camera up on the sand. Just see the umbrella. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I think you say umbrellas are for sissies or something. So No, 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 no. On the beach. Look, I'm not. You're okay. 
Hey, I'm <laughs> just look, not for I'm, rain. I'm not afraid of a little bit of water, but the sun. I mean, what was that? Uh, like there was like a viral. Um, one of the barstool guys had a viral tweet a couple years ago. It was like someone made fun of him for using a uh, sunscreen. He was like, "Imagine thinking you're tougher than the freaking sun." So, no, Dwayne, <laughs> I am not imagining I'm tougher than the sun. A little bit of rain here or there. I'm, I'm whatever, dude. I got toasted on my back yesterday. I tried to put on sunscreen, not enough. So. Once again, you, you, you have you have to have uh you know you have to have your 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 gal putting the sunscreen on the back <sighs> end to make sure you get everything. Come on, man, you got like you you gotta let somebody that has eyes on the situation handle that for you. Failure to prepare is preparing to fail, of course. <laughs> for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care. Happy birthday.